So how on God's gray earth did this He's all alone through the day and night The lonely loner seems to free his mind at night At, at, at night And this Even this. Become this. Hanging on the front porch, how do I deal? I saw my dad's corpse. and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, or it may be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Just a reminder, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook groups, and we have a website, and that is Things You Should Do. This week on the panel, we have Logan Renard, Matthew Marr. My name is Scott Livingston, and we do have a special guest, uh, Brian, from the podcast Boothin. Say hi to everyone. Hey, what's up, everybody? So this week, we're discussing Kid Cudi's 2015 album, Speeding Bullet to Heaven. So I think the first question is, is Kid Cudi okay? I mean, <laughs> he doesn't seem to be having a good time on this album. Yeah. Oh, this was not good. <laughs> well, firstly, uh, it is Cudi, right? I hope so. Because that's yeah, what I did not say. Yeah. I, 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 I for a while thought I was just pronouncing it wrong. I thought it, maybe it was Kid Cudi, but um, but Cudi's that, okay. That might be more, uh, you know, modern. If he came out in the past year or two, he might be Kid Cudi, but yeah. 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 <laughs> I thought it was a Cuddy Sark, uh, you know, product placement kind of thing, but apparently it's his, his, his last name. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. Muscuddy, something like that. Muscuddy. Yeah, yeah. Scott Muscuddy. I will, like you that. know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I just revealed, obviously, that I don't know much about him, but um, I do know that he's from Cleveland, Ohio, the, the, uh, the land of my birth. So that, that put a smile to my face. <laughs> there you go. That he got out like I did. Anyone who escapes Ohio's, you know, on the right path. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to all our Ohio listeners. It's Indeed. a it's a Running Man esque game show, reality <laughs> show, Escape from Ohio. What's round on the ends and high in the middle? Yeah. If you if you win, you you don't have to go back to Ohio. Yeah. Well, that seems fair. If you win, you survive the opiate crisis. So there's like a kid, Cuddy. The Pretenders and LeBron James. What's that? Uh, Devo. Devo is from Ohio. Devo, yeah. The Dead Boys. <laughs> Joe Walsh. There you go. All sorts of random, <laughs> unrelated artists are from Ohio. 
And we'll never forgive them for Joe Walsh. Well, no, we I'm shouldn't. Just kidding. I'm a big fan of the James Gang. Good thing oh. he didn't do anything stupid after that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he disappeared completely. So, back to Kid Cuddy. We're going to go with Cuddy. Cuddy. Kid Cuddy. What does he normally sound like? Because um, I, I don't think this album is representative. I mean, he's a he's a, a rapper and hip-hop artist, I believe. What is he doing here? Well, I'm, I'm a pretty big Kid Cuddy fan. I've been a fan... You know, I've kind of been getting drug throughout his career. Um, but I'd say uh, a good starting point is that he was with Kanye in Hawaii during a lot of the writing of 808s and Heartbreaks. And so that kind of melodic, modern, kind of uh, ethereal uh, rap, pop, you know, sort of crossover, uh, he's really was kind of at the forefront of that. So. He has bars, but he's also very uh, kind of melodically minded outside of this record. It's it's also pretty specifically like sleazy party music. It's like wasty face, like yes. party music. Um, it's like the same way that Kanye is. I don't know. There's a lot of uh, with his with his work that he's known for. It's similar to like later period Con- Kanye, where it's it's almost like the. It's like the yacht rock of hip hop, you know, it's like late period Eagles, but done to trap music or something It's like a lot of pastels and, uh, you know, tailored pants and stuff. No no socks, you know, (laughs) all that good stuff. And it's great, you know, for the for the right occasion. It's the perfect music. Yeah, and uh, I used to compare him to Phil Collins a lot. I'm not sure exactly where I was getting that with that kind of brooding moany, but you know, I only really know the extent of my Phil Collins knowledge is like late, uh, like post Genesis stuff. So, we're gonna go. We're gonna get into a, a Brand X hole here. <laughs> no, okay, <laughs> he's a. Uh, um, it, it sounds like uh, 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 Kid Cudi influenced Kanye more than the other way around. Although apparently Kanye was a big uh, helper in terms of launching his career. Is that correct? Um. Yeah, Kanye signed Cuddy to good music. You know, he, he was kind of one of the earlier upstarts with that label, along with like John Legend and Common. And that's that's a pretty common thing for Kanye where he did. I don't want to say he stole shit from people, but like whoever he was working with, he was like, oh, that's neat. I'm going to take that now. But also, I'm going to make you super famous. So. It's like pretty fair trade. Like there's a bunch of other people besides Kid Cudi that work with Kanye as Kanye was becoming crazy ass Kanye and super famous that he, you know, didn't steal from, but was obviously influenced by like pairing up with with various artists. But those people have nothing to be pissed off about because they're super rich and famous as a result of working with Kanye and kind of having their whatever their thing was like borrowed and thrown on a killer Kanye track or something like that. So yeah, it's another one of those. Okay. So what was he doing here? (laughs) There's a lot going on though. uh, I think Um, it's not singular in its direction. I guess I would say other than there's a lot of, uh, you know, I'm not sure. That's my response. (laughs) It is. It it is confusing. It's yeah. There's no, one simple answer to it. Although I do think clearly he grew up in the nineties 
and wants to be Nirvana at some Oof. point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a lot of that, and that also leads to the unnecessary and unexpected resurrection of Beavis and Butthead uh, in between every third song or so. Um, what was the point of that? <laughs> like Mike Judge had bills to pay? I don't know. <laughs> Seemed like he was doing all yeah, right, but, but he didn't need that check. But Well, you know, there there's a long lineage of terrible skits ruining you know, songs at the tail end or albums. Um, in terms of why he did it, I so I gave this album three listens, uh, which I you know I survived. But I'm sorry. I <laughs> yeah, uh, but there's a point where it seems almost like he's aware, like in the beginning, where they're kind of saying, "Oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard." Um, it almost seems like he's. Uh, I, I don't know that it's. It almost seems like he knew what he was doing, like that he was making something so god awful that uh, you know Beavis and Butthead would think it's like the beacon of taste, you know. I like that. Yeah, you you hope that's what's going on at least. Although it almost feels like you know hiring Jim Henson to be Stadler and Waldorf again, only having them say nice things about you. That's not what they're known for. Beavis and Butthead tell you you suck. Yes. So why you would bring them back just to? tell everyone how great you are, particularly when this doesn't seem like something Beavis and Butthead would like. They like, you know, Metallica. <laughs> and, you know, not St. Anger Metallica. Winger! But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> ACDC, right? All that stuff. Exactly. Pantera, yeah. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So... And, I, you know, whatever you think of this album, it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> so so yeah. if uh, Kid Cudi is the, uh, uh, the, you know, the Phil Collins of rap is... Uh, is Nirvana the Phil Collins of punk? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I know I'm Somebody's strong, strong agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're just throwing tomatoes because we're hoping people will pick them up and throw them back. Well, um, <clears throat> speaking of thrown tomatoes, there was actually, to your kind of opening question, is Kid Cudi okay? He did get checked into like a mental wellness facility. Um sometime after this album was released. I believe it was 2016. It could have been early 2017. But um, he pretty clearly was going through it. And even there was a stretch. I was kind of digging through uh, the Kid Cudi subreddit uh, just because. And, uh, he, you know, he. I remember he was, like, blocking people who had negative things to say about the album um, or his team was. I'm not sure, you know. But yeah, yeah he was going through it. That's yeah, that's interesting. And he had he also uh, well, uh, I don't you know you never know for sure, but he was public about you know a substance abuse problem, particularly alcohol. That he said he got sober, and then so he might have been self medicating, you know, before he entered into treatment. Yeah, he did like put a lot of things out saying like this album is one hundred percent the purest form of my artistic self and I've ripped my heart out and carved it into tiny pieces of musical madness and he even dedicated it to everyone struggling with mental disorder all around the world so yeah he clearly was um on the verge of something and it wasn't a breakthrough as much of a breakdown it strikes me as like this is like a hangover album not not like the movie franchise but like a like this is like waking up from years of uh you know crazy crazy drinking and partying and and having some shit to 
to work through kind of kind of thing. It's like, you know, I believe that like cool Keith or somebody like that is an actual crazy person who's like working through some shit like, you know, on his album. But this just sounds like a dude who like partied too hard in his 20s, like trying to work out some shit <laughs> and like, I don't know. It's, it's also hard not to compare this to the Moby one we did a couple of weeks back. I think they bought the same uh, guitar. I pedal. think they bought this. Yeah, they, <laughs> they got their Squire Strat Pack and their DS One and their little practice amplifier that came with the Strat Pack. And uh, man, they rock star now. No, it was the grunge pedal. Was the grunge yeah, pedal or the uh, <laughs> the Boss Metal Zone? Yeah. Um, oh, the yeah. Metal Zone is a. Don't you disparage the Metal Zone? That's a fine <laughs> pedal. I have my I have my, uh, uh, my Behringer Metal Zone knockoff right here. Never leaves my. I have it in a, a hip. A boot holster. Well, it also <laughs> helps that you probably actually know how to play guitar through it. So, yeah. Well, there's the, yeah, yeah. That could oh. be an advantage. He knows three chords. <laughs> he knows the hell out of those three chords. You're gonna hear a lot of those three chords. Quite a few yeah. of my guitar heroes do not know how to actually play guitar, so I'm I'm hesitant to throw stones in that regard. Well, can we talk a little bit about the instrumentation on this album and that yeah. Kid Cudi? He bragged yeah. about how he, you know, he played the bass and guitar on it. And there's a thing in the wiki where he brags about not using a click track. This is pure raw rock. Well, what are you guys' thoughts on how, you know, things kind of turned out? You know, I remember being in a garage band in uh, middle school and we were able to complete a song and that was pretty impressive. It wasn't done well, but you know, all four of us played the same song at the same time for the entire two and a half minutes. It lasted and it was impressive for our age group and um, experience. This kind of feels like that, you know? Yeah. I appreciate the, the, the kind of rawness of it actually, you know, that there's a, there's a, an appealing quality in that direction. I think it feels very real. I mean, whether you like it or not, it, it does not, it has no artifice <laughs> attached to it. I, it is very honest. I um, don't like it. It sucks. It's bad. <laughs> I think it's it's a generational thing. I think too many people came up thinking that punk rock was Nirvana, Blink-182, and fucking Green Day. And that's like <laughs> what they're trying to ape, both with the snotty, like, you know, sneering vocals and just like crappy you know, like if you want to be Nirvana, like then try to be the fucking Melvins and come up short and be Nirvana, be like Nirvana. But if you try to be like Nirvana, like you're going to end up as and you come up short, you're going to end up as something that sucks. And yeah, you're, you're like white snake to uh, Led Zeppelin or something. Exa- uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, uh, but, but, you know, um, I, I, uh, I'm not saying that I like it. I say, I am saying that the, the kind of, um, demo-y or garage band quality of it, that doesn't bother me. And there's a lot more going on here than just a, sort of a, a punk rock sort of take. You know, it, I think there's... It, it's not punk rock. It's very no, post-grunge. I, I'm not even sure a lot of it's even rock at all. There's, you know, there's some odd folky kind of elements to it. And and yeah. um, and uh, there's even a little bits of, of hip-hop here and there. Um, you know, it's it's kind of... Like I said, I, I think it was all over the place. I, I don't I don't quite see a, a you know a consistency to the whole thing. And if you if you throw in the the kind of um, use the colloquial phrase craziness to the whole thing, that kind of makes a or insanity that kind of makes a little more sense. But it's not um, it's not even uh, like Scott was saying. Th- there's no 
there's no artifice there. It's not like, oh, I'm going to make a crazy record. It's just, this is more like what maybe mental illness looks like. Yeah, it's it's almost outsider art. You, yes. You know, a couple of these tracks yeah. reminded me of like Wesley Willis or Daniel Johnston at some points, which, you know, can be a compliment depending on, you know, your taste. But um, maybe, it was a surprise, that's for maybe, sure. Maybe it's my taste with, you know, out, outsider art air quotes kind of stuff but it doesn't go far enough in any regard it's not crazy enough like lyrically the music is still pretty much music um yeah. you know it's not dna or really bad velvet underground live bootlegs or you know or it, it doesn't get garagey enough um it doesn't get unhinged enough both musically and lyrically so it just sounds like okay it sounds like demos one of the most questionable choices once i on my first kind of full listen through and you know four and a half years of this album was after the album ends then there are demos attached to it um you know with the bonus <laughs> yeah. disc yep and uh, it's like the 25th anniversary reissue before the 25th anniversary right the super deluxe and i was i didn't know if um i can't recall if like having a second disc pads billboard numbers or not you know if it counts as two albums i i do not know when did this come um, out again 2015 so like five years they ain't ago. selling cds anymore <laughs> yeah yeah this yeah like i looked 10 at, cds I think it was like 16,000 physical, something like that when it dropped. I was looking, but still, those are pretty low numbers for a guy who was, um, you know, day and night was in pursuit of happiness for two of the, you know, bigger songs of that kind of foggy movement, you know, as I was kind of drifting through college. So, yeah. Um, and to go with uh, Scott, you mentioned like when you were in middle school, you played a song with your band um, and you felt accomplished. I, I think, one of the harder parts of this is that a lot of these don't sound like fleshed out songs. You know, they don't sound finished. No, <laughs> no, they are. There are three chords and kid having something to say and or yeah. one thing to say over and over again. And very little dynamics. Um, and it, and kind of, uh, the consistency like some album some of the songs have real drums. Some of them have very poorly programmed drums. Um, there's even a song or two where I thought maybe the bass was out of tune, but we're also sort of, it's 2015 and we're in this period where, you know, uh, uh, Jay Dilla and people like that are starting to be really lionized as being awesome for exactly the stuff that you're describing. The, there's no click track. It's performed in real life. It's unquantized. Things are out of tune, just all that kind of stuff. But those little details make a song really cool if the song is otherwise mostly badass and musical and groovy. If it's all like that, it just is kind of a, a jumble of... And amateurish. Yeah. yeah, it's amateurish. And there is really, you know, I think there's a personal taste element to it. it we might get farther far enough away from some stuff where we're like, oh no, we don't like that anymore. But as a reaction to things being produced to the point where they were uh perfect again air quotes um you know the jay dilla kind of stuff um both in the rock world and the hip-hop world and the jazz world you know was really held up as extremely cool because there were you know it, it the pendulum had swung too far the other way with things being just perfectly dialed and quantized and basically you could lay it out on a grid 
you know, there's there's plenty of people in Pro Tools who took like a bunch of pop songs and just like spliced them together effortless, effortlessly because they were exactly the same tempo and perfectly in tune with one another where you could just at random clip, you know, parts from one song to the other and not have to do anything to fit them together because they're so perfectly constructed on a grid. And so they're like Legos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, in fact, there's a, um, you know, we're in the age of digital production and I'm like all of you, I'm sure you're probably staring at or right behind you as a screen with little squiggly lines being drawn. Um, a lot of engineers and producers nowadays will turn the monitors off in the studio when they're tracking so that people aren't visually looking at a thing to make, to, you know, to be able to tell when the when the chorus is coming. It's like, no, use your ears. It will sound better if you use your ears. If you're staring at the squiggly lines, it's going to sound like you're building Legos, not like you're making music. And and again, the 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 Dilla beat kind of stuff is a reaction to that going too far to the perfect side of things. And I think, you know, maybe Kid Cudi was having fun with that, you know, sort of this was I, I mean, I hear all, all kinds of bits of like sort of primitive, but like, you know, neo soul kind of elements and neo folk kind of stuff, which was, you know, big in the, you know, five, ten years ago was really taken off. And again, it's re- this reaction to like the really Phil Collins doubt production <laughs> and other stuff. Brian, yeah. how does, how does the, uh, the lyrics on this, com- cause I'm unaware. How, how do the lyrics on this compare to, um, kids more popular stuff or, or, um, more well-received stuff? Well, I, in terms of Cuddy, I, there is one, uh, kind of point I wanted to make is that this album wasn't entirely out of the blue. Um, even if you go back to his first mixtape, uh, a kid named Cuddy, he has a song where he samples, um, I can't remember, it's 50 Ways to Be a Lover, uh, that old song. And, it, you know, on his debut, he has this song, Intergalactic Universe, that is like a disco song. Um, even on his uh, sophomore album, there's a song called Erase Me that sounds like a, a Blink-182 song. Um, you know, three years prior to this album coming out, he had a side project called Wizard that he was his first kind of foyer, foray in the rock. So it, it, it's this wasn't just a you know he had a meltdown and one day he was like standing on the street corner with a guitar. Um, but to your actual question about the lyrics, uh, this album forced me to go back and think like how much of Kid Cudi it is you know lyrical that I like, and uh, I think you know he kind of exposed that vulnerable side. Uh, that a lot of you know millennials maybe felt that uh some of the more flashy. Um, you know, rap of the, you know, aughts uh, didn't really line up with how they were feeling. So, you know, isolation, mental illness, none of these things are new themes. You know, uh, he was one of the first big artists to, in hip hop to really openly talk about psychedelics, which you, you know, find pushed with that Beavis and Butthead sketch, which I would never want to, you know, chew up a bag of mushrooms and listen to this album. But, um, I mean, it's pretty similar. It's just that the, there's a very little effort here because he mm-hmm. can rap. Um, and there is a big Midwest tradition, you know, uh, going back to like Bone Thugs of, uh, you know, lyrical hip hop that, um, he can adhere to. But this one, it just seems like he, you know, he's a vibe artist, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, all that humming, it sounds so much better with like fleshed out production. 
Uh, but with this, it just sounds like a, you know a high school talent show. Well, should we get into it? Because it is a a long ass album. I mean, we will probably skip the demos at the end, but there's still quite a few tracks on here, so we should probably uh, dig into it. Uh, the The first track, in fact, is two tracks, which is "Edge of the Earth" and "Postmortem Boredom." Which, tongue twister. The angels have no whiskey. Can't say I'm not disappointed. There you go. See, I don't know why he put demos at the end of this album because these already sound like demos far more than, you know, S- Springsteen's Nebraska did, which actually were demos. Some of the demos sound better. Um, this, this, I could be completely wrong about this. That to me does not sound like something it could have been, you know, like recorded on, you know, like one of those dictation microphones or something like that, you know, to give it that awful noisy, noisy hiss sound. It really sounds to me like it's it's a uh, it's been purposefully made to do that. Yeah, they it was mm-hmm. studio trickery to yeah. create the impression mm-hmm. of bad recording. But um, you know, but so so I think it's a it's a choice, not not I have this great song but I only have this bad recording. It's the opposite. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Daniel Johnston actually. I'm looking at my notes and I said this almost sounds like a Daniel Johnston song. I will say kind of if this is serving as kind of like an incantation to the the angsty suicidal muse inside of all of us, um, I do like some of the flourishes. Like, you know, in the back of this track, there's a, you know, an auto-tuned humming that is kind of, I mean, I personally liked. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this almost sounds like uh, somebody purchased like a, you know, John Darnielle Mountain Goats VST uh, you know, this early track pack and slapped it on it. Uh, does some, All of this is very uh, manipulated, like you mentioned. Which brings to the question, why did he choose to do it like this? You know, one of my favorite back albums is uh, called One Foot in the Grave, and it's an early one. It was done with uh, not Daniel Johnston. Who's the other Daniel? Uh, the Beat Happening fellow. Um, but Webster? That, that one is... Uh, um, <laughs> you know very much like recorded in a basement with a dirt floor on a four track and very out of tune at times um and just very free you know you can hear his foot stomping on the floor as loud as you can hear the guitar or anything else and it's not you know it wasn't carefully constructed to be that way it's just what the hell it sounded like in the you know the the crappy basement that they were stuck in and um it has loads and loads of charm and all that good stuff but i think the songs are really good and really compelling and they're short and to the point mostly. And yeah. There's so, a lot, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, um, Michelle shocks. What was it? The campfire tapes, the Texas campfire. Yeah. Where, where the, yeah, that was done on a Walkman. Yeah. Actually. And yeah. while the, and the, the crickets are louder than her voice. Right. You know, it's a, it's really kind of annoying. Uh, but, um, but like the songs are good. That's really what, what it, but I agree to. with you on the, I don't think it's organic. Like, it doesn't seem as organic as it should be. The the unfinished parts of this seem like they were maybe slathered on as a as an effect rather than like uh, 
you know, naturally part of, of how it yeah. was recorded. Like, I could be wrong, but, I, you know, I don't think this is a guy in a bedroom with a four track and, you know, the wrong bias tape and all kinds of stuff like, you know, and, a, and one... 157 with the capsule out of alignment or something like that that would you know yeah i i agree with uh brian though in, in the sense that as an opener it is a um i don't know it's kind of more like a, a preface or a you know sort of the the opening vignette of a movie or something it this has the potential to be okay something something strange is going to happen right this is going to open up and it's going to be um hopefully very engaging it's a it's a fine it's a fine overture to for what's to come right right <laughs> although it could, it could make you confused well he doesn't want to trick you he's letting you know right, right up front right off the bat yeah <laughs> so why did he mash these two songs together instead of just having a a track break this hmm. i couldn't figure it i mean they were both perfectly fine complete unrelated tunes as far as i could tell but you know and it wasn't like he did that with any of the other tracks. And I mean, unless you count the skits as tracks, but it's kind of an odd choice. Well, which is one of my pet peeves with uh, with albums when the skits are not separated. So, I, you know, I could just delete them out of my library if I wanted. It's, it's almost holding you at gunpoint to uh, listen to how clever this, this skit is. Uh, as for why these songs are paired, I'm not sure. I'm sure he thought he had a reason at the time. Um he may have thought he was going to do that with all the songs, and then by the third track, he he forgot, and so he moved on. Or, or maybe as Logan suggested, it was an attempt at an overture, sort of. There you go. The two bookends, you know, like the, these are the things that will happen. This is the range of of emotions you will get to experience on this Not album. Although <laughs> bored and depressed. <laughs> if you. If you only got, if, you know, if you only got two tricks to play, you know, you shouldn't do them both in the first, you know, right at the top. That's two trick pony. It's sort of a, uh, yeah, that's sort of a, a, a performance rule. You know, if you, if you only got one trick up your sleeve, you know, save it for, don't, don't do it too soon. You know, got to dole it out slow, but. Well, it uh, kind of makes me loop back to, I believe it was Rat who was saying, uh, comparing this to uh, th- that Beck album. Um, and you know, Beck, his, I mean, I'm not an expert, but it seems like his whole thing is that he's not, you know, he doesn't have any one trick. His album sounds very so much, whereas Kid Cudi did have a very distinct sound that he kind of stepped away from and really got out of his comfort zone. One of my favorite types of music is dub, not dubstep, like Jamaican dub of reggae stuff. So, you know, basically really extreme ambient remixes of what at the time were popular music. And one of the things that it depends on is that you are very, just like with remixes of uh, rap songs and dance music, it sort of counts on the fact that you're familiar with the original. Like there are dubs of, of very popular songs because the clever shit that they do in manipulating it after the fact depends on you knowing what's supposed to be there, right? And, and I think this sort of thing, I think he might have been doing this crazy departure because he had such a defined production style and sound that that you know like maybe if just listening to this as a standalone it's not as impactful as it would be if you're a huge kid cuddy fan and then you put this on and you're like what the fuck is going on <laughs> any minute now the 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 banger is going to going to the beat's going to drop we're going to get some 808 bass drum in here at any minute and it's going to sound like you know what we're used to and and it never really does but 
you know, having just sat down and listened to this straight through, you know, having not listened to any Kid Cudi, you know, the more popular stuff in a while, it's just not having the, the, the impact that it would if I, if I had the, you know, some of his more, uh, uh, popular tunes drilled into my head. It is confusing. And therefore, it left you confused! <laughs> Exclamation. Confused. Truth is what I choose. What I choose. I never do. try and sound like Nirvana and fail, you sound like Bush. <laughs> you mean uh, platinum record selling uh, Bush, Scott? Yes, uh-huh. yes. Gavin Rosdale, ex-husband of Gwen Stefani Bush. Yeah. Oh, they're not they're not married anymore? Uh, no, I think she's with the, the other guy from The Voice, Blake Shelton oh, or something. Yeah, um, she's with some major country artist. I can't remember his name, but... Clearly, she has a type, and it's it's not talent. I'll have to I'll have to catch up on my access Hollywood. <laughs> I I think that the whole thing with uh, a lot of hip hop artists being, um, you know, if not like way into, but very familiar with like the aforementioned Green Day and Blink One Eighty Two and you know Nirvana and things like that. I think that's that's very fascinating to me. But it's like, oh yeah, they're all my same age, and they all kind of grew up in the suburbs and. You just even if you were the hugest hip hop fan in the world, you couldn't get away from that shit. If you're, you know, born in the mid 80s and grew up anywhere near this, you know, in the in the suburbs or something, even in the middle of nowhere. It's like that was just, you know, omnipresent, that sort of stuff. Well, I think Travis Barker is playing drums on at least a couple of these tracks. So is that guy yeah, going to show up on this podcast every week? Yeah. He's tracking us down. Yeah. Travis Barker plays on everything. So was this recorded in Los Angeles? I'm not sure. Do we know? I'm uh, I, I have no idea where this was recorded. Hold on, let's consult the sec- sacred scrolls. <laughs> it's like a, Yeah, I don't know if it matters that much. I, I'm just sort of curious if if uh you know how how um how much say uh record company involvement was here, how much, you know, uh you know, was there a producer brought in? Was there uh, an engineer that they wanted to work with? That kind of thing. Um, I'm, or if this really was just him, you know, give me a studio. I'm going to do what I want. So I can say that shortly, I, maybe a year or two before this, he left good music. There was some sort of conflict. Um, so this is him kind of steering his own ship a little bit. Mm. And in terms of production, so a lot of the songs he had that really kind of blew up uh, were produced by Plain Pat, Emil, and a guy named Dot the Genius. Plain Pat actually is on the credits for this album, and there are parts when we get to it where I would, you know, maybe give him credit. Uh, But it really does seem like Cuddy was calling the shots here. Um, So there were, you know, Plain Pat was involved with this, but I don't know to what degree he was actually involved. Or, you know, he just threw his name on it. Right, right. According to Wikipedia here, and according to uh, Kid Cudi tweeting, that this was recorded on, on the tape, which is kind of cool. I, 
Yeah, I do want to actually go to bat for this song. I'm not going to lie. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, when I try to make a list of the ones I enjoy, I do think that um, he does somewhat successfully straddle the line between his older style because the verse kind of has a, a cadence to it. It's not straight up uh, rapping, but you know, it is a little bit deeper quote you know maybe quotations around that where he's talking about you know looking into the mirror he can't distract himself uh it's a little bit more nuanced than say judgmental uh yeah, yeah. so <laughs> that one well yeah i mean this was one of the two singles from the album and i do like the line in there he, he repeats far too often but he does say i hate the drugs but i love the numb and i thought well yeah i think i can see that um it's a good line you, you could, yeah yeah he sounds like he needs it. Well, he so. wa- he was a cocaine addict too. Around Man in the Moon too. That that's on the record. He's admitted um, when you know as he kind of constantly goes back to the uh, the the numbing agent. Yeah, that's why a lot of people self medicate. It's because there's something to um, medicate from, shall we say? Shall we move on to the Man in the Night? Yes, the first song with a, a Beavis and Butthead stuck on the end. nice when you know the 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 first part has two chords and then to change things up you you reduce it down to one chord (laughs) classic composition trick oh yeah you know there's some there's elements to this that i uh i find appealing in the sort of the noisy guitar bits and in the sort of repeating odd you know like siren type sounds and stuff but but it also seems very uh derivative and and not not in this in a sense like i'm gonna sample something that was once there and make it cool in a different way but more like um oh i don't know it, it reminded me maybe of something like a part of a sonic youth song or something like this this kind of a noisy but intriguing sort of backing track that's just not quite interesting enough agreed <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this this is pretty Wesley Willis. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Wesley Willis going on on this album. I think. I mean, party on Chicago, rock over London. They're gonna reissue this on alternative tentacles. Everything will be on alternative tentacles or Rhino someday. Yeah. <laughs> In the classical record section of your local library, like there's records or libraries anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, there's a. Archives, then you know, the Smith Smithsonian, <laughs> the cloud. <laughs> Everything's in the cloud now. The, there's going to be a big, uh, 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 like oil painting of Jello in a in a golden frame with you know, uh, with with like a Jacobian ruff, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they they um his his vocals here what whatever he's doing you know I guess it is kind of snotty ish but it's it's also sort of you know like um I don't know there there's something uh, I kind of. This makes me want to hear what the other stuff he's done because I I, uh, I can kind of hear something that I would perhaps find appealing in terms of his uh, 
the way he the way he vocalizes, the way he presents things. I'm looking for the good. I don't know. There there are parts of this that I like, but overall, it, it was kind of like I don't know, not not enough crazy. One of the reasons that I think lyrically he's really effective on his other stuff is because it's this juxtaposition of like I'm too wasted and I don't care enough to like. I'm not that he's not a a great. MC or anything like that, but his his kind of rhyming style is very like kind of like I'm too cool in this like I can't be bothered kind of kind of way that that works great against shimmery sparkly like high production shit. It's like look at this flawless production, so I'm just gonna kind of mumble over it in a disinterested way, and that's kind of awesome. It has a great there's a great juxtaposition of this like this this shiny production with this wasted guy, and it's like really impactful and cool. And then with this, it, I don't know, it's, it's not bad. It's not even really the opposite of that, but it just doesn't quite pop like the other thing does. Well, I, I do want to say, I think that they're kind of throughout this album, there's, uh, there are, you know, acorns, uh, mm. of good ideas in there. But I think a lot of people take, uh, you know, for granted, like other members in a band. So for example, on this song, I do kind of like that uh, sonic youthy, uh, dissonant, you know, growl. But a lot of I think the problem is that even though I I think the riffs mostly suck, if he were to have you know specialized guitarist, bassist, uh, drummer, they might have been able to do a little bit more with the idea. It's, the whole album sounds very insular. Get Lee or anybody from Sonic Youth to like guest on a track, you know. Like that's, uh, I mean, I know he, it seemed like he wanted to do the whole thing himself, but it's not hard to get those guys to come do something, you know, if that's what you're going for. I mean, he's got Travis Barker. If you're as talented as Stevie Wonder, yes, you can play every instrument. But most people, including Kid Cudi, who much better guitarist than Lil Wayne, we'll give him that. <laughs> it's not, um, yeah. Well, you know, even artists who are perfectly capable of like playing every instrument, they almost always, you know, with the exception of the rare, rare people like Prince or, you know, like somebody like that who's just Stevie Wonder, even having a different musician on a track Paul McCartney like even if you're a monster drummer if you have a different drummer on a track where you play everything else it provides some subtle push and pull that just wouldn't be there if you handled the whole thing well, and Brian was saying this is very insular and that yeah that's, that's a large part of it is just there's no one else talking to him to give him other ideas. Yeah, there's no like oh shit I didn't think of that that's clever like let me bounce off of that idea that you know I wouldn't have necessarily had even if again if it's you know really subtle it's kind of that interaction provides a little liveliness to to things but without it we're all screwed yeah to make a rock album he needs drums a lot of these songs don't have drums and it's not because they're ballads it's just they don't have drums i don't understand it yeah they're not particularly groovy when you have things that are very repetitive they do need to groove that's what keeps you interested and and uh you can you know sort of groove with a you know an acoustic or an electric guitar but it's not 
an easy thing to do in a rock context without without you know some other prominent rhythmic element to hold everything together and to keep the you know the interest of the listener or you just have to have just fantastic lyrics um well yeah i mentioned prince earlier prince is the best example that i can think of of there's always a backbeat two and four always like there's always some kind of thing you can tap your foot to even when the song is really sparse or just really crazy you can always find the thing that you're supposed to be you know tapping your foot to and i i you know it's not by accident at all like he knows that this is what makes the song go forward and a lot of it's done with you know just really ham-fisted over the top either electronic or or big loud rock and roll drum you know bass drum snare drum bass drum snare drum like you can't lose it ever even in crazy cacophony of shit going on it's you know you don't have to search for it and so some of these that are a little bit droney that you can tell he kind of wants them to be you know rocker you know kind of pretty heavy rock and roll tunes it's like there's a there's an element missing well i actually i did have i mean this isn't a prince episode but um i consider myself you know maybe a moderate prince fan did the revolution play on you know that string of albums he had or was that still all him it was mostly all him um the band on purple rain the song purple rain uh was the band performing it like for the movie i mean it's not the scene from the movie but when they shot the movie they actually recorded that live and so like wendy and lisa's vocals some of the guitar like and some of it was just prince also but they used the live take from when they were filming the movie uh for like one or two of the you know the big was it it's like the song purple rain i think and maybe one other on that album but everything else is just prince and all the drums on that are are Lindrum, like they're LM1, and he's performing those tracks live. He didn't sequence anything. He laid down the parts one at a time, pressing the button on the drum machine, performing those parts live. And so even though it's electronic drums, it that is rele- relevant to what we're talking about, where it's like even Prince back in the 80s realized that, hey, if we want to take this kind of R&B production with drum machines and things like that and make it lively it needs some slop to it it needs to not have a a perfect meter it can't be perfectly quantized otherwise it sounds kind of kind of lame and so like he was on to that being a, a a useful feature of music yeah you know back back then but some of that's just faster too it's, yeah, it's it a is. lot easier to just, just if you can do it it's easier to just press the button than it is to yeah set up your sequencer um, yeah absolutely and i mean a lot of stuff prince was doing on that was not sequenceable easily at the time. Um, Yeah. Technology was far less uh, advanced in that area than it is in 2015. Although, although, uh, well, what about this song specifically though? I mean, is it, is it, uh, well, there's their violin or synthesized violin. I'm not sure what it is, but it's only playing one note, but it, it's nice to have another instrument on there. Yeah. Give them that. I, I put in my notes here. I like the, the, I what I put strings, but maybe string, (laughs) <laughs> um, and I think maybe those are some of the elements that, you know, Plain Pat, the other producer, might have tossed in mm. uh, in with this. I didn't see like a violinist or, you know, a cello player credited. So I'm assuming it's synthesized. Um, but, you know, it seems like he might have done his best to add some texture to this song. 
but again, which maybe why he didn't get to play on the whole album. He was like, no, too much texture. Yeah, I yeah. Just want rah, rah, rah. <laughs> no drums, no nothing. Other than power chords, you're fired. The Didi Ramon school of guitar. Well, and yeah, again, I think that maybe there's a part of Kid Cudi that took uh, it for granted that even these, you know, three chord, you know, uh, bangers, some of the, the, the earlier punk bands, um, even though the songs are simple, you know, that the uh, I don't I, I can't explain exactly what I'm trying to articulate, but that there was some chemistry, um, you know, something to play off of with other members of the band that yeah. he is lacking. Yeah. yeah, there's a long history of, you know, three chord songs being compelling and, and highly successful. Um, you know, Tom Petty comes to mind. Um, but, um, you know, but there's, you know, clearly there's a band element involved in all of that. Yeah. Well, shall we move on to the next one? Uh, this one has drums on it. It's uh, Fade to Red. The Digitech whammy pedal. <laughs> was the uh, w- was the Jesus lizard from Ohio? Ah, uh, maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, I heard that there. Yeah, no, that definitely. I like that. Well, remember how I was saying if you're trying to be Nirvana and you're failing, you're Bush. Yeah. That can also apply to Hole. Yeah. <laughs> this reminded me a lot of Hole for some reason. Somebody needs to buy Kid Cudi the No New York compilation and just like. If this was just a little bit more musically unhinged, we'd be into like no wave territory and this would be great, fantastic outsider art kind of stuff. It's not. It doesn't go far enough in either direction. It's not crazy enough, you know, it, it, there's not too much, way too much stuff going on or, or it's not like impossibly sparse. It's like at kind of a safe middle ground. Well, he when he moved to New York, he was, uh, he was already grown up right i believe so i mean he wasn't like 12 he was at least you know 18 or something i'm just saying that that uh cleveland you know cleveland uh cleveland has as far as i know a pretty vibrant music scene you know he could have been influenced by an awful lot of things that that uh were more midwest in nature than necessarily you know um just new york hip-hop right i mean i would i would think that's that's where a lot of his his difference comes in and maybe he's, you know, I don't know, maybe he's, he's hitting upon some of those things that, uh, uh, whatever was going on when he was younger. But, um, I mean, Cleveland does rock as the Drew Carey show would. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, led, led me to believe. Yes. <laughs> There's a, Hey, you know, when you're in an industrial town in a post-industrial world, uh, you got to rock, man. Do something. He he actually has a guitar solo on this yeah. song. Yeah. I think the only solo he has on here. It's better than some. <laughs> yeah, I mean this song is just forgettable all around. You know, I I do kind of like how it. It's one of those things. It's if I was there live, I could see getting you know Stockholm syndrome and the kind of banging my head between the two <laughs> chords if a band was going for it. But um, 
Yeah, and and I think we're just starting to breach the uh, exceptionally whiny parts of this album in the middle here. There's a lot of you know romanticized you know shotgun in the mouth chord type, uh, you know looking to Kurt as the path, um, and it it's pretty abrasive, but not in the way I would particularly want it to be. Well, this this is what this album's like ninety minutes or something. I I wonder if it had been cut down to about. A, a tight 30 35 if this would have been more and it wouldn't even matter which you know seven songs you pick it's just yeah it's just by the end of this album you're done oh, well let's not get ahead of ourselves okay yeah what are well, there like I, two, two the, or three more songs yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. We're yeah. almost there. One quick point to that is that as a, you know, a Kid Cudi fan who's kind of been plugged into, you know, Reddit and all that kind of in the discussion, I think part of the tear with hearing this album is if this was distilled down to, you know, an EP, if this was put out under a different name, kind of like when he released Wizard, which sounds like a masterpiece compared to this, even though it was not well liked. You know, the 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 fear is that, you know, one of your favorite artists, you're thinking, is this it? Is this the rest of their, you know, their career that I'm going to be, you know, having these same three or four chords, the same tone? So I think that's part of the huge backlash is that Kid Cudi did hold a, a spot for, you know, sad stoners and uh, loners everywhere. And this it it was kind of terrifying to think like either he's about to kill himself or, you know, as he kind of romanticizes or that this he's going to be, you know, a a punk rocker for the rest of his days. That's true. He he abandoned this pretty quickly after that the the album came out. He did not come back to this so much, which was I I think a relief, but may have also hurt this album in hindsight because he didn't you know stick to it. Although, a Speeding Bullet Three would have been tough to handle too. Well, you know, preceding this was Satellite Flight, which is an EP that kind of has a taste of like what, you know, Kid Cudi fans generally seem to want. And that was supposed to be like a prelude to Man on the Moon 3. So it was supposed to be the third part of his, you know, what people enjoy. So that that was kind of edging fans towards wanting Man on the Moon 3. And then we got Speed and Bullet to Heaven. Um, well, much the way, same way that Rebirth, you know, took the place of the Carter four when oh, it was supposed God. to come out. And, yeah. At some point we're going to have to break down the, the um, similarities and differences between these two albums. But um, first let's go on an adventure. Adventure. Only crazy makes sense. Mm, starting to make sense. While I'm still. Her vagina is moist and warm. Just hold my arm Hell is beyond the door Heaven doesn't want one more No more chicken sandwiches Yes, I'll pay for the damage Your vagina is moist and warm Lyrical <laughs> genius No more chicken sandwiches uh, I think it's I'll, I'll pay for the damages <laughs> Yes, I'll pay for yep. Nice so, so there's kind of an extended bass part there, Logan. Was that enthralling? Um, yeah, cool. I I like the 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 groove on this one. Is you know, it's a clearly a sample. You can hear it kind of hiccup every once in a while, um, as it's like a 
you know, I don't know if he's just like a looper pedal or something, or if it's just a, a really kind of lo-fi break beady sort of sample. Um, but I like that. That's, that's exactly the kind of shit that I was talking about with like the Dilla beat stuff where, you know, r- hip hop artists were really getting into embracing these imperfect, you know, having lived too long in the era of, uh, of being able to conjure pretty much any sound from thin air on any computer and make it absolutely perfect and repeatable. I think that's like one of the cool hip hop things is like MCs having to recontextualize this, you know, sampled thing that is not a perfect backbeat or not, you know, it's like if you had to write it down in musical notation, it would be in like, you know, 27 or, you know, like in some bizarre time signature to make up for the little skips and blips and things like that. And, you know, the better, like, you know, a a competent MC is like masterful at contextualizing this weird kind of square wheel rolling down the street so it can kind of sound smooth and and neat and groovy. And this one has a little bit of that going on that I, I like. Yeah, this is actually one of one of the songs. Sadly, that I is on my like four or five of this album that I would consider <laughs> keepers. I love the you know that's kind of a plain pat sounding stamp um, with the uh, the you know the kind of lo fi drums. I like how the guitar and the bass almost seem like they're going to fall out of time with one another, and then somehow they fall back in. Uh, but again, lyrically. Um, you know, if I could just shut off that part of my brain, I I would like this song. I like I like the sound. I think this song and the title track have kind of a good cohesive uh, sound that could have you know made for a at least a more memorable project or maybe more forgettable since it would be a little bit more you know palatable. Well, like you were saying earlier, if you could just distill this down to EP length, you know, pick four or five songs that really stuck together in some complimentary way and distilled this down to EP length, it would be pretty okay. You know? Um, yeah, those lyrics are extraordinary. It did make me want a chicken sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah extraordinary yeah, an- in, in which direction. Another I mean. influence uh, on Kanye West. Uh, again, chicken sandwich references and songs. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it it it's strange the things that Conway will uh, take away from from Conway? other artist Conway, Conway yeah. Twitty. <laughs> Kanye Twitty. I wish Kellyanne West. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I don't even know if that was Freudian or not. <laughs> well, I I think maybe the word I'd I'd tie to this sound and maybe the sound of the title track and a lot of the Kid Cudi that people like is kind of meditative. I don't know. It kind of has a, you know, you can hum, you can nod your head, you can kind of just space out. Um, and so, like like I said, I, I do like this song. But, um, but yeah, you know, again, uh, uh, an otherwise, I think, decent enough song just kind of ruined by, uh, you know, lyrics damn lyrics back to that this 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 sound this album sounds like demos it sounds like he should have done this and then camped out with a producer or two called through it thrown some shit away or tuned up some stuff that was half finished and you know done it for real but well it sounds like he took his time making this too it was you know promised and and not delivered a couple of times so he obviously meant it to sound like this 
but why I that I'm having a hard time grasping. Well, I think that there you could probably sense there's like a Dewey Cox-esque, you know, I need more didgeridoos element to how much time <laughs> he took on this. Um, and it, maybe it would have turned out better if, you know, if they could have gotten an actual band together in the studio, you know, tracked it out in a month or, you know, something more focused. But, uh, yeah, he, he took time. That's one of the more embarrassing things is how... I don't know. I guess I don't want to say how proud he is of it because it's his statement, his art, but uh, he was uh, understandably defensive of uh, how people received, you know, maybe two years of his life put into an album. Shall we move on to nothing? The nothing? Yes, sir. I think this is from The NeverEnding Story. (laughs) Ah, he beat me to it. Anyone can be candy. Yeah, it, was that from the Willy Wonka soundtrack? <laughs> it certainly felt like it. I was going to say, this is damn near Melvin's territory. I have corn in my notes. It, it reminds me of like a corn, the guitar tones for some reason remind me of like yeah. a, a corn intro. Um, which I would have probably liked more if he just went balls to the walls with that the heaviness. Uh, but yeah, Fieldy's got nothing going on. You pay him some money. He's got. He should have gotten Vincent Price to add a tag to it. <laughs> the, the funk of forty thousand years. Forty thousand years. Because <laughs> he does some like haunted house voices towards the end. Oh, watch out for the nothing. And I'm just like, yeah, you're not pulling it off. Yeah, and this is another song that, again, it sounds like, you know, there's no dynamics to it. It just kind of uh, waddles along, you know, between the guitar. Uh, it, it never picks up um, where, you know, where I might want it to. Like, I could accept, you know, the very, you know, like an intro or a verse before it picks up into a, a course, but the whole thing just has a meddling pace. And that happens through a lot of these songs where, uh, I would want more if this were an actual band, um, and I don't, you know, I again, I'm not sure why it it is left a, like a demo type state. If 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 he's trying to get you to feel, you know, uh, not depressed but a sort of nervous unease, uh, then uh, a lot of this album is totally effective. Like he's nailing it. If like that's what he's going for, if he's trying to make you pull you into feeling uneasy and kind of down like a lot of these will do the trick yeah i i think you're you're hitting the nail on the head and maybe that's part of what i was pondering with like the beavis and butthead sketches is you know is he intentionally trying to make me feel this bad uh is he trying to make the listener match his you know vibe i I think where he screwed up was he like maybe thought that he was the first person to get really stoned and watch the never-ending story over and over and over again you know, because if, if you've done that, like, you know, you don't really need this as a, you know, <laughs> like, it's not a not a new idea. Amen. It just maybe that, you know, that unease and that that sort of vibey thing that he's pulling you into is cool. But for a pop artist to do it, you know, for a mega selling pop artist to do it, it's kind of weird. 
What if Britney Spears had put out an album that sounded oh, like yeah. this? Like if Britney Spears had put <laughs> out this album exactly, it would be fucking fantastic. We'd have a whole podcast about that. <laughs> her, uh, I think her like communist manifesto is incoming. She's you know kind of been on an interesting uh, trajectory with her, her social media presence, from what I understand. So who knows what we might get out of uh, Britney Spears? Got to shave her head again. <laughs> Well, namaste. Yeah, I know you're wearing a mask. Uh, yeah, I know you're wearing a mask. Uh, uh, can't hide what your pony has. Get your stories and your pony plans. Amen. Amen. I will save them. I will save me. Well, it's not a religious song i don't think <laughs> that was cool yeah i think it's got that, that that song has potential i think it's a it's a bit you know uh musically repetitive dare i say i could hear a band covering it and it sounding yeah. okay i think i would like it a lot better that uh this could just be me but it is you know this was 2015 i think the uh, vocals through a through you know the distorted vocals through a bullet mic or whatever the hell they were using um, is very cliched by this point. Um, but, uh, you know. Um, yeah, Stone Temple pilots have been out for a while now. Right, so, so. Well, I, you know, one of the things, even though actually this is a song I don't much care for, for a couple of reasons, I do like that it's short enough. You know, some of these songs are four to six minutes long. Uh, they're really taking you hostage for a little bit. Um, but I do like the brevity of this song, but kind of what you're talking about with, uh, how it, it doesn't, um, well, like the drums, for example, it sounds like I've made patterns in, you know, like FL studio before when I first got it. And it's like the same, very, you know, non-dynamic abrasive hits, you know, at the exact moment you want it to. And it, this song sounds almost like, you know, just one bad drum loop. Uh, and, you know, I do like the the attitude behind it. But again, I just found like the drums very annoying on this song. Um, and so that's just my my little two cents on it. Well, and if most of the songs um, could use drums. So the fact that when they do show up, they're this uninspired is even more annoying. Isn't it it kind of is in like nine, right? With like a pause at the end of nine to like or yeah it's like a weird out of sync loop where they're always trying to catch up and like make it fit like everything's trying to everything around the whatever the one i don't know if it was sampled or just played poorly but you know like everything around it's desperately trying to contextualize the thing the main thing that it's built on and so everything sounds uneasy like the whole way through and like it's about to fall apart and if you tightened up the production on this a bunch and like dried everything out you'd be left with like kind of something like you know is it like fierce cover of we got to get out of this place or something like that where it's almost like flipped on its head backwards kind of beat which is neat but they they got so close and didn't <laughs> didn't quite take it over the finish line and it, you know if that was what they were going for well there was no they that's for sure yeah, yeah. it's just it's just kid kid and no play <laughs> yeah that's a well, a lot of these these songs i think you know uh, like brian was saying with the shorter the shorter song it's a it's a good idea you know this this is um 
Maybe it's just a process of getting older. I have less patience for certain things, which is you had something to say that lasted for 30 seconds. Why is this longer than 30 seconds? Right. Say something else or stop talking. Let it be. Or stop talking. Right. And and uh, I think um, I think there's there's a lot of that going on in this album that, you know, at 90 minutes, you don't have to eliminate songs. You could just trim all of these songs down and have 30, 40 minutes. There you go. <laughs> 18, one and a half minutes. Right. <laughs> and I'd be, you know, I don't, I wouldn't mind that, but um, there are worse things. Right. Yeah, I'm uh, holding my breath waiting for the Kid Cudi grindcore side project. Oh, and fuck yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like anal, anal Cunt's going to produce uh, Kid Cudi's next record. We could bring Mick Harris back out of, out of retirement. So I, I did mention um, Tom Petty earlier. Is this next one a Traveling Wilburys cover? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm damaged, I trust no one. Sometimes I can be real mean to a magnitude extreme. I'm sorry, oh, but handle with care. So fragile and delicate, handle with care. I'm so fragile and delicate, handle with care. So fragile and delicate. Why, 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 why? What was that, um, that mmm song in the, oh, by Crash Test Crash Test Dummies, yeah, that, uh, I kind of, you're going to get us pulled. The thing, the thing I like about this song, don't hum another note, Scott. The thing I like about this song is the the mumbling. I I think somehow that that's an appealing part of it. Um, but that's about all I got. Uh, I like you know actually this song when I first listened to this album is one I actually remember. I there's something very earnest seeming about this song. Um, you know maybe that's part of what some people liked about this project on some of these songs, it does seem like he, you know, Cuddy's known for kind of bearing his soul a little bit. So I, I, you know, I do like that. It's hard for me to get past the, you know, very minimal guitar part, but, um, and you know, with the humming again, there's some sort of production going on with the vocals. It has kind of a, a trippy, uh, quality that i i you know it's he uses his voice as a instrument sometimes you know especially on the, some of his more popular uh stuff so you know it almost has like a flute type <laughs> i don't know if that's the right comparison but you know it, it's uh as some people might say i think this song is a bit of a vibe <laughs> yeah if you ever been to a coffee shop open mic that's the vibe <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and i think that's what i what i was glomming on to is is i i think it's it's uh there's something there that that I I find appealing, but it's uh, not enough. It's not it's not enough to make this this you know a song I want to go. Hey, hey, you know Scott, let me come over and have you listen to this song. You're really gonna dig it. You know it's it's there's there's it's not there. Yeah, actually, my favorite part of the whole song is the way you can always hear the the fingers squeaking as they're. Sque- going up and, and down the street. And that's really exaggerated. They took whatever engineering technique to minimize squeaking and and, and inverted it. Turned it the other direction. Turned it the other yes. direction. I mean, yeah. it is like a, a big part of the song. Oh, oh this is a uh, compressor. 
in the uh, the ending again. Like I, I personally, I so there's a part of me that just likes the song, but then he ends it by kind of moaning, "Why me?" Uh, repeatedly, which is just it's almost again, it's it's hard to believe that he was serious when he's uh, putting this out there as a. I don't know how old he was at the time. He was definitely in his 30s. He wasn't like he wasn't, but you know, in his mid 20s till he kind of started to find uh, a lane. So it's you know he's a grown man uh, with this "why me?" you know, scream yeah. at the cl- the clouds mentality. Self pity is unattractive. Yes. Yeah, you know, this album does not feel impersonal or or insincere, and like you can really, you know, be in this mood with him if you want to i just don't want to for 90 yeah. minutes <laughs> yeah. you know like i don't i don't think any of this is insincere or or like you know fabricated or anything like that it's like i yeah no i think this guy's depressed and miserable and he's making me feel depressed and miserable listening to these songs and uh yeah a little bit of that goes a long way here's you know and, and here's a lot of it so why 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 uh, I'm sure none of us are experts on this, but I could be mistaken. So uh, chronic uh, cocaine use, abuse, whatever you say, doesn't it do something to damage your um, pleasure receptors in your brain? You know, it, like reduces serotonin levels over time or something like that. I can't remember what it was exactly, which is kind of its addictive quality. You can't feel good unless you let you have this. And so you can't feel, you know, joy. And it takes a it takes a considerable amount of time to recover from that. Um, so this is this is just like a dry drunk asshole record, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Great. Uh, well, then let's move on to the next track. <laughs> been some more casio keyboard on this album i'm pretty sure that wesley willis estate might have come after him <laughs> well this is no rock and roll mcdonald's this is not on that level no yeah. although you know for all of chris cornell's screaming on scream this feels far more sincere than anything he did yeah <laughs> oh yeah no i i like the attitude of this song it's very punk yes yeah, so. some of the worst sounding symbols i've ever heard that's what i have in my notes here um but maybe I just haven't, you know, uh, adventured out into the musical world enough. But, but yeah, I like the attitude. Well, there's just intentionality here. You know, it's it's kind of what we were talking before that. You know, I think if you got some punk band trying to make a record in their garage and the cymbals come out crappy, and and uh, you know, maybe that has an endearing quality to it. But but when you have the uh, the ability to um, make whatever you want to sound like whatever you want and you chose that that's um that's unfortunate <laughs> yeah you're you're saying something and i'm not sure what you're saying other than uh help <laughs> i think that's what he's saying on this album is help yeah th- yeah uh this song is especially you know has a temper tantrum quality there's a very stompy beat to it uh, I could, you know, I could just picture somebody pitching a fit, you know, at the grocery store because their mom won't get them, you know, a candy bar or something. 
But uh, I, I mean, I kind of like the stompiness of it, but this song is, is tough. Yeah, I, I like the stompiness of it, too. I think he's he's screaming and shouting uh, uh, quite genuinely. And, and I like that on this one because you don't really get what he's like. You don't really understand the dumb words as well as you do on some other songs where he's kind of just enunciating you know, better m- yeah. m- mumble <laughs> not m- not mumble rapping but like there's some lyrics in here that are just either dumb or self-indulgent or like just not very compelling boy it's a bummer when the, you really like a song and then you find out what the words are or you know <laughs> or the title <laughs> so it's like if, if if you're gonna scream enthusiastically like I almost prefer that you you know in a song that's pretty cool like I almost prefer that like I'd never find out what the hell you're screaming about cuz you know the odds that I it'll either be dumb or I'll hate it you know are are pretty high so <laughs> Speaking of dumb or I'll hate it lyrics I think this next song is about getting pissed at ghosts yeah no idea what that one's about <laughs> i don't want to know the lyrics i thought it i hate it was really ugly and dirty and fast it's under two minutes i'll give him credit for that is that travis playing drums probably probably yeah i did like uh this this song the bass kind of had a crunchy tone whereas most mostly through the album it seems pretty undefined um and there's uh, well and there's kind of a you know this song reminded me i put the modern lovers kind of a monotone uh, kind of rambling, almost, I don't want to say Bob yeah. Dylan-esque quality to the vocals where it almost seems aloof of what the band's doing. But um, that's kind of what it made me think of. That's almost back to like what I was saying about his like more popular shit where it's like his like, you know, I can't be bothered to care too much about this thing juxtaposes nicely with something that's really serious or shiny or, or heavy kind of thing. Like it works. It's great. It's like this furious rock song bit of a you know not mumbly but you know too cool kind of thing and it's like oh that's very rock and roll definitely don't don't all seances end up in chaos well are, are all chaoses ending up in seances i don't know yeah, or at least uh, uh, at least in the movies. maybe he was trying to resurrect his career uh yeah. with the seance here <laughs> the fairy tale remains it does of bands where the singer sounded exactly like this <laughs> like the count the from book. sesame street <laughs> yeah <laughs> a one a two a three tell them where they are yeah it's a thing there is a riff um kind of in the back of this uh song it has maybe my my uh favorite guitar tone there's kind of a fuzzy little it's kind of buried in this track uh that i do like that part of it uh that one little nugget um, 
But yeah, it, he, I hadn't thought of the count, but that is a uh, pretty spot on. It's unnecessary and weird, but you know, I think Axl Rose did the same thing on one of the songs on Chinese Democracy. So maybe you just spend too much time on an album, and that happens. I think it's a a misunderstanding of some weird emo crooner kind of vocal styling. Well, you know, it could just be this too far gone thing because even like Eminem was kind of doing a triumph the insult dog voice for a little while there when he was yeah. gone in the pills. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah, Didn't it, I guess I just, yeah, I just haven't taken enough drugs to really, you know, get suddenly start talking in that voice. Didn't Eminem and uh, Triumph have a public? Uh, Row. Oh yeah, they had a throwdown at some VMA or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's even uh, funny because he even on I think uh, recovery uh, references like, oh, like why was I doing that voice, you know? Um, but yeah, he he did throw shots at Triumph. Uh, but I, you know, I think a lot of it, man, you you know, he could not have genuinely been mad at a a puppet. Or he could have. I don't know. If anyone could, it would be Eminem. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, he's still taking shots at Mariah Carey and Nick Cannon long after you know whatever happened between him. And Mariah Carey was gone. Although I'm kind of diverging here. Well, for more divergence, uh, I think all of the Dana Carvey show is up on Hulu or something. You should go watch that if you're big uh, Robert Smigel fans. It's more entertaining than Wedding Tux. Oh. Motionless lips look She pushes pills, uses me for what she needs Just in the motionless lips look Then tossed aside like rotten meat While the maggots and vultures feast Feasting on my memories Everyone's searching for lightning So we're back at the uh, coffee shop open mic um, and what could rhyme with tux? What could rhyme with tux? Any number of. Did he just re-record vocals over a Sebado record? Like this is serious. This could be a Lou Barlow album. There, yeah. What rhymes with it? I I thought I heard him say, "I'm an emotional slave slut," but I'm not sure if I was mishearing. Uh, so he there, did there's an at answer. some point say he can't wait to be rotting meat. Which I mean, that's a. The dark line. Yeah, you see, that's actually a pretty good line. Uh, yeah. He also says everything everyone sucks about 18 billion times. I just think about how sad I would be if he did die after this album and this was like the closing statement I was left with as a fan. I kept kind of uh, yeah. revisiting that idea as I, you know, listened to it. It's 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 a good thing there's something else after this. If If this album doesn't like show us that the 90s nostalgia has just gone too fucking far then what will i what will it take well you know there are some bands who i don't mind them trying to uh you know bring that sound around um but again it's usually bands with you know a certain sense of awareness a skill set uh where it's you know they can put a spin on it instead of just seeming like a like a bad karaoke version of an old grunge song. Yeah, well, it, like what I was saying before about like you know if you really want to sound like Nirvana, you should try to copy the Melvins and like the replacements and you know shit like that. You know, do that. Don't try to sound like Nirvana. You'll just sound like a cover band. You know, try to sound like the Stooges and you'll get close to Nirvana. It does feel like you know. 
the chords on this are so I mean there's only three but the the number of times each chord is played feels like it's determined by some sort of random number generator there's no pattern to it at all I was I was counting it is in it is in uh, four four so they he must have been playing to some sort of um despite the uh you know despite the reveal he must have been playing to some kind of track click or otherwise as a side to person you know primarily a bass player i've had to do gigs where i backed up singer songwriter people who were wholly unaware of the fact that they couldn't just randomly add more beats to a measure whenever the fuck they felt like it <laughs> and had to play entire gigs facing them to watch their hands and see what they were doing because they they would never, ever, ever understand the, the idea that, you know, it was like, yeah, but there's there's like two extra syllables to this word like whenever I feel like it. So I'm going to play the chord you know, for 13 a couple beats. more, if no, yeah, yeah it, the, but never consistently. And, you know, just whenever I feel like it and it, it's like, that's not, I can't uh, just <clears throat> let me stand where I can see your, your left hand, uh, please. Doesn't play well with <laughs> others. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting, I, uh, maybe it's uh, like, there's like, this song gives me like PTSD for playing those gigs. Yeah. There's even a cello one there. I think at some point. There's a song. Is it Cody playing the cello? <laughs> There's a song in here where he re- references there being a cello. Um, it might have been this one. I can't recall off the top, but uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one. It uh, really you know gets underneath your fingernails like some bamboo shoots, and with each kind of you know looping back around goes a little bit further. It's angering us and all the other kids. kids you should never anger the kids no no it's like it's like poking at a, a bee's nest or something speaking of kids i did you know i mentioned lou barlow a couple of songs ago a bunch of these would swap out and daniel johnson who's on that the, the soundtrack to the movie kids you could swap a, a bunch any of these songs for any of the songs on that soundtrack and it would fit right in so maybe he's nailing the 90s angsty shit there is a part of this where he kind of uh, breaks off into like an old dirty bastard esque uh, scream that is maybe the one part of this track I do like because this is a very smarmy uh, kind of finger wagging track that is is hard and even the intro just from the intro where it's talking about the the doctor uh, the little monologue it just pisses you off um, but not in the uh, or maybe it was his intended way I don't know his intention but. This one's a, a tough pill to swallow. Felt like, yeah. Rest in peace, Russell Jones. <laughs> Get off my lawn, you whippersnappers kind of song. <laughs> so do you think he's the angered kid? Well, he is kid. Well, I mean, how how long can you call yourself kid? I mean, at what age does kid rock become adult rock or soft rock? I think that's already happened. Hard rock. <laughs> 
What age did Prince Jammy become King Jammy? Indeed. And what is it, you know, okay, look, look, th- th- this is probably not the the, uh, the 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 right album to ask this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and, and uh, you know, because it'll come up again and again. What is it about current production, or at least five years ago production, I think it's current, that you have the ability to make things sound almost... Right. If you have if you have a good enough, you know, playback system, almost as if it's the real sound. Right. What I'm talking about is pristine, undistorted, gorgeous recordings. And what you want to do is fuck it up and and I and uh, and make it sound as awful as possible. And and I don't um, you know, so in other words, you have high fidelity recordings of terrible sounds and then, then you purposefully purposefully make them sound worse. And, and I know that's just a, a style that people have decided to go for that ironically has been made possible with, with digital recordings. Even if this was done to tape, I know it was done to tape and moved into a computer. Um, so, so what is, uh, uh, you know, what is going on with that? Is it, is it, are you just disguising poor performance or, or I think it's because people don't feel connected to the organic or the real around them. Everything is so digital in process that in order for things to feel either real or relatable, they have to seem like they were, you know, hmm. compressed or distorted or squashed because yeah. that's how they view reality is, you know, on a streaming platform with, you know, bad bit rate conversion. Yeah. yeah. Well, like like I said earlier, I, I think it is a, a pendulum had swung too far the other direction for mm-hmm. too, too long. And it's it's a reactionary thing. Um, which will eventually, you know, swing back the other way, and we're we're starting to see, uh, you know, a, a, a vinyl record sales eclipse, you know, other physical media sales, um, and and people saying, you know, I have a yeah, I, I have a huge record collection, and I like listening to to vinyl quite a bit, but people will still insist that they they're higher fidelity than cds and stupid shit like that it's like i assure you they are not (laughs) (laughs) they are not like that's they're definitely not it's like but i think the reason you like them is because they are lower fidelity in a particular way that is identifiable as physical media and you're enjoying that engagement with it which is fine and and i think this like hey we can make it sound any way we could imagine let's make it sound like shit is kind of a a, a reaction right right to but it becomes it becomes a it becomes so dated and so cliched so quickly you know when when uh but, when but you remember when things sounded like shit because that's the only way that they could right be recorded and i think some of the people who are doing this as novelty maybe were not raised in an era when you know they they weren't around when things sounded shitty because they had to yeah that's and and this is and this is new and novel yeah. to some yeah. Well, to kind of counter that point, I mean, would you have liked this album any better if it was clean, if it was perfectly, you know, uh, transparent in its delivery of the performance? Uh, that, no, not at all. We would no. just find out that there's even more stupid lyrics. Uh, yeah. We would, we would understand a bunch of lyrics that also sucked on songs where they were just like blown out rock and roll you know, punk song. <laughs> it might reveal something to the artist when he listens to the playback and say, wow, this is not what I wanted. This is not good enough. And instead of saying, can yeah. you fix it by making it real distorted? You could say, maybe I could write a better song. 
right? Well, I mean, that's I, a, it's a lot easier to distort than write a better song. Yeah, yeah, and and well, also, yeah, also, you're on a deadline. I'm sure you want to release this thing, you know. Yeah. Well, there's a, an aesthetic to this whole album that I think the uh, kind of shitty quality goes to. Even if you yeah. look at like the cover, which was almost instantaneously a meme when it got dropped. You know, this uh, kind of blurred. Like he's shirtless with a kind of messiah stance, um, looking like you know Michael Jackson in the Free Willy video, or something. Uh, you know that even the the cover picture is uh, blurred, you know. Um, and so I I don't know. Maybe I'm you know since I am kind of a diehard Cuddy stan, I'm trying to trying to make excuses. But I, I mean it it's definitely intentional. I don't know. You know, hearing yeah, it no, played back, he must have heard the mistakes. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I don't. I don't. I mean the mistakes. The mistakes is not what I'm. What I, I'm. You know, the mistakes is not what I'm complaining about. You know, it's more. It's more like uh, some of these songs. I think. Think. Uh, you know, it's like okay, you got a really, you got a really heavy distorted guitar. guitar right. You know, which is which right. is which is great. I love that sound. But then, but then let's 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 you know compress the hell out of it and make it even more distorted to a point where it's ugly, but not in a compelling. Oh, that's really innovative and interesting that you decided to do that way. It's more, it's more like, well, this is what I think everything else sounds like. I'm going to do that too. That's, that's just what it sounds like to me. Right. Yeah. Well, there's, there's obviously, obviously a very deliberate commitment to the system. Yeah. 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 And, and, and maybe that's okay, you know, to, to sort of yeah. push it over. I, you mentioned ODB like a little while ago and it just, I've been listening to a bunch of Wu-Tang lately and all that classic Wu-Tang shit is grimy as fuck. It's really, really lo-fi and really, re- like the beats and production on that. And even some of the, you know, the vocals are a little bit more hi-fi than this, but out of either, uh, um, you know, not knowing what they're doing or, you know, I it's just like, or deliberately, like all that stuff sounds really crunchy and really grimy and really sleazy. And, um, and it works with the, you know, that's like a hallmark of that of that music is that it's really lo-fi and and grimy, and it, and and to a certain extent, like this, it's very like we made it ourselves. You know, and, and like again with Lou Barlow, and you know, all his shit was like bedroom four track recording when that that was sort of a revelatory thing at the when he when Lou was doing his like Sebado stuff was that yeah it sounds like shit because I made it in my bedroom with like two broken guitars and a coffee can um, with the Wu-Tang stuff. It's like, yeah, we made it in our studio where we control every little bit of it, you know, and it sounds like grimy as shit. Um, and, you know, maybe Cuddy was kind of going for this, like really hard on sleeve. Like I made this myself thing. And that's perhaps the commitment to this, maybe a little bit over the top kind of uh, lo-fi Approach. Well, and there are also songs, you know, from the 50s and 60s that have fantastic production quality with much less available. I don't know if that kind of mirrors the the why of it, but, you know, yeah. examples of people doing so much more with so much less or, you know, kind of back to the Wu-Tang example. Uh, I heard the what they recorded that on was pretty, you know, like what you would consider kind of a bedroom studio setup uh, comparatively. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it is disappointing that he made this with all the modern technology <laughs> yeah and like when i read that he recorded it on two inch tape i was like no dude you record on two inch tape because it sounds hi-fi as fuck and sounds great and lively like 
this sounds like it was recorded on a on a on a porta studio with a with the wrong bias cassette tape you know like you tape you put a you put a little piece of a sticker over your uh your uh you know black sabbath with dio tape and just taped over it you know after it's been riding around in your glove box or your car for 10 years and that you know you mastered right off of that no, it was clearly done, and if it was done on two-inch tape, it was done in a real-ass studio with a real-ass engineer and some serious facility. So it's, I don't know, it's interesting choice. Oh, speaking of Black Sabbath, what were they before the Rolling Stones painted them black? Going to my last breath, slowly exhale, one last fuck you to the world. One last fuck you to the world I need to escape I'm wondering if the lack of drums is just because Kid Cudi can't play the drums and he wants to play as many of the instruments as possible because mm-hmm. yeah. this song could have used some drums or percussion. Oh, there could have been a great build up you know, from that acoustic intro into, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something, but yeah. Well, we don't want any dynamics in any of these songs. They have to sound exactly the same from beginning to end. One of the difficulties with uh, kind of this mid-period Cuddy, um, you know, he dropped his third album is called Indicud, where he kind of is similar thing. Like I produced just about all of this, and there's a lot of really ham-fisted uh, kind of out of tune sample matching and uh, things that just didn't sound that good. Where he had the capability, he could have programmed, you know, drums and some of the the wor- worst sounding drum tracks. I would have to think that he uh, kind of came up with, but he. Even though he's not a drummer, he could have, uh, you know, thrown something in there. He's, uh, yeah. he's, a, he calls himself a producer. He's produced songs, I guess, is however you want to put it. So, was Red Sabbath the day the Red Wedding took place on Game of Thrones? I just think it's edgy. You know, it's like, oh, like there's Black Sabbath. I'm, you know, Red Sabbath, <laughs> Pink Sabbath, Yellow Sabbath, Rainbow we need Sabbath, more colors of Sabbath, <laughs> all the Sabbaths of the rainbow. Yeah. On that weird voice at the end, and you get like the sound of like fast forwarding as if we're trying to find something interesting he says and he doesn't. And then another Beavis and Butthead sketch talking about how this is the greatest album ever, which it is and, not. Uh, and to the skits, it, how bad they are, kind of reminds me. I wish I could remember the name of it, but Logic put out a project, uh, project where he had, uh, you know, Rick and Morty um, skits in it, and it was similarly, you know, uh, just out of place. But at least Rick and Morty is a thing that is going on currently. Beavis and Butthead have been long gone. No, they started making new ones. Oh yeah, with the instead of music videos, they would make fun of like reality shows, but uh, it is very 90s to have them on here though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and well, sort of what I was talking about earlier, maybe maybe growing up in Cleveland, well, growing up anywhere in the United States, I guess, if you got a MTV handy, it could have been something, you know, could have been a nostalgia factor involved in all of that. I must say, I prefer those to the uh, the Eminem approach to making you know lewd slurping noises in his sketches between his songs. But um, um, but I don't know as if I need to prefer them. Yeah, sketches no. don't need to be on albums. I don't know why that is a thing that has you know 
if you buy an Adam Sandler album, <laughs> yeah, sure, put a sketch on, but no one else, you know, needs to do that. No one even knows that Adam Sandler was a comedian anymore. No, they know him as a dramatic actor from such films as The Meyerowitz Stories and Spanglish. <laughs> Eight Crazy Nights. Some of his finest work. Men, women, and children. Uh, uh. <laughs> We do, recently, my my wife's a few young, years younger than I, I am, and we're, we've been watching over and over the, the Larry Sanders show, and there's an episode with Adam Sandler where he's, you know, clearly still on SNL and, uh, a, you know, a, comedi- a stand-up, and uh, you, my wife was she's like, holy shit, I didn't know that Adam Sandler was funny. <laughs> like, I didn't know that he was like a comedian. It's like, yeah, that's, he's a comedian. He's like comedy <laughs> albums and stuff. That's like... He's like, you know, just watched that and it's like, huh, okay. <laughs> I guess he's moved on. <laughs> Pillar of Hollywood. So um, I know there aren't enough obnoxious gated rock and roll drums on here to fully realize this, but man, parts of this album sure sound like uh, uh, Kid Cudi and uh, uh, like ministry sort of collaboration. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I could definitely hear that. That That's a good example of the sort of thing too that uh, we were getting at is, uh, I mean, ministry doesn't always hit the mark but when they when they went over the top with distortion i always felt it was uh there there was an intention in the way that this is going to enhance the song right this this i think it's more it's more like um uh it's just a strange aesthetic like we really want it to sound like it's it's hasn't been produced or something I'm not sure how to how to characterize that. It's like a so we're gonna overproduce it, it so it sounds like it hasn't right, been right, exactly. That, that's that's the vibe I get off of it. You know that kind of pulls back to this uh, the bonus disc where he has like the rehearsal tracks. Uh, it al- it almost has an air of like you know back in the day when MySpace was really big or you know yeah. things like that where bands would be like this is how good we sound you know just with a a clipping you know. Uh, microphone in our uh, rehearsal room and it never sounds as good to the listener as it does but I feel like he was trying to flex that you know even raw and unproduced mm. uh, you know this is brilliance you know witness my uh, my excellence I have a theory that he recorded this album uh, some years earlier and uh, it was just simply lost uh, with all the musical files on MySpace and yeah. uh, <laughs> 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 that would explain a lot yes well shall we keep moving on we're almost done we're getting there we're in the the color section of the album we got fuchsia butterflies at this point in the album I'm like mm. is is kid cuddy okay are are we being mean by making fun of him i mean this is this a, a right to do hence the wesley willis comparison should i be enjoying this well yeah definitely or does he need help well it's not like we you know uh broke into his bedroom and hid in his closet as he was just fiddling around on guitar you know this was a product he sold to his fans i mean i, I had the same thought like is he okay but 
at the same time, he deserved every bit of vitriol he received for uh, for selling this to people. Yeah, like this is a mega like pop star. This is not like a real like indie underground like you never. This is their you know first or second album or something like that kind of person. Yeah, this he is, said stuff certified platinum, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like this is a this is a mega selling pop star with you know shit being blasted in clubs and things like that doing this. It just makes it even more kind of confounding. Some nice distortion on the bass, at least. Yeah. But that's about the best I can say for it, so let's move on to the next track, the uh, the penultimate and uh, title track, I believe. Speed and Bullet to Heaven. I'm all smiles, give a fuck what they say. And I'm all smiles, I'm all smiles. produced songs on here and i think if the rest of the album had just that much extra care and attention played to the songs it would have been a lot easier to get through maybe not as memorable as a you know mental breakdown on cd but you know so fucking boring but i'm all smiles i i really like this song but um you know i think this song has uh, a little bit of restrain which is pretty much the antithesis of this album uh, but I love the, you know, the drum production. I like how the different pieces of the song kind of layer, build up. It'll fall back to, you know, they'll bring in the guitar tastefully. Uh, there's like, it sounds like there might be full chords being played. I'm not sure, but. What are those? Um, but it is telling, too, that they chose this as a single. Oh, and the the, the demo, too. uh I don't think it's worth us listening to it here, but still, I will mention it that the uh, the demo for this one does reveal that that there was a uh, there was a lyric and melody intact that that did transcribe or you know um, it survived into the studio, which is um, kind of refreshing. This this one is credited as co-produced by Plain Pat. Yeah, he's the one who adds anything to the songs. <laughs> If there's a song with anything on it, you can blame Plain Pat. Well, you know, if if you like this song somewhat, I would recommend checking out Wizard. It is more in this vein. Um, but uh, I, I did want to say one of the things that disappointed me with having the, uh, the demo is the demo sounds almost pretty much the same as a lot of other songs on the actual album. And so it makes you think, like, if some... <laughs> more time and thought and collaboration were put into some of these uh Mm. you know turds they could have been polished up a bit yeah yeah well i can see why he saved it to the very end then because you don't don't want to shoot your wad too soon but still this is what track 17 not many people will make it this far either it's i do like that i mean i can sort of see what you know what we were talking about earlier in terms of his, uh, uh, you know, melancholy lyrics and the like being attached to to you know sort of an upbeat song and and even that lyric that I mentioned, you know, which uh, um, is ironic for other reasons. Um, but but you know, it's like I'm so fucking bored, but I'm all I'm all smiles. It has that kind of thing where where it it uh, I can see why this would draw an audience you know, things of things of this nature would draw an audience, you know, but I think even this could be done a lot better. 
yeah, yeah. it's just compared to everything else it seems like you know yes. heaven <laughs> heaven sent speeding bullet to heaven but let's just let's get this over with the last track on on the real first disc because we're going to pretend the second disc doesn't exist because otherwise this episode will be four hours long uh, embers it feels a lot like that uh, Blink-182 song, Miss You, which is not a good thing. <laughs> I think maybe, I you know, the, this album could be kind of his idea of uh, burning his own career down. Maybe not intentionally, but there seems to be a lot of, you know, he was kind of alludes to destroying himself, how he's kind of slowly dying. Uh, and so maybe the thought... You know, because this album really acts like a a therapist. <laughs> he subtly alludes to that. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, talks about painting the walls with his brains at some point. Yeah, it's 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 a dark album. Well, he does blame his, uh, and probably rightfully so. He does blame his uh, his substance abuse problems on um, on fame you know, on, on the life, you know, getting, getting successful and hanging out with people like, um, Kanye. Um, yeah. uh, so, uh, um, or maybe Conway too. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Conway Twitty. Yeah, they got like a, a Futurama style head in a jar. Does he, does he have a, a rotting, uh, a riding lawnmower? <laughs> yeah. We're going to roll this convoy. <laughs> well, you know that, I don't know. The living, living well, will kill you. You know, this is perhaps a, Rather excruciating uh, cautionary tale, this one. Well, I'm glad he's better. I mean, he's better, right? Oh, uh, seems seems it. I mean, he's still alive, so that's that's a good sign. His uh, his album after this was a very uh, quick return to form. He seemed to find his lane again with a uh, passion, pain, and demon slaying. Again, there's a lot of those cornball themes on there, but it is kind of similar to his first two albums. Uh, and then his, you know, Kids See Ghost, him and Kanye put out a project that I, I like a lot. But again, I'm kind of a stan, so. Well, yeah, I, I guess he maybe he needed to get this out of his system before he could go on to do a, more of what he should be doing. Oh, I was just going to say, maybe they got the meds balanced, you know. Could be. It can take he did, a while. He did have some uh, help there, so. Well, he's not dead, and uh, I think he will eternally be kind of a brooding, sad boy, Um you know, and he even kind of expresses that. I don't know why he included the song Trauma, you know, in the bonus parts, except to let us know, you know, he found his dad dead. He kind of alludes to maybe his father was hanging off the porch, uh, found his friend dead. I mean, there, like I said, there's a lot of therapy happening in this album, and I don't know why. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Well, according to the Sacred Scrolls here of Wikipedia, um, Andre 3000 and uh, um, Erica Badu and Kanye, like, really liked this album a lot they're kind of three hip-hop artists who have done similarly vulnerable although maybe a little bit like loose and you know <laughs> like uh problematically self-indulgent things also 
And so maybe they were psyched on it that way. And, you know, maybe this is they were psyched on it as like, a, hey, this is what the, the, the pop star looks like without the team of people, you know, kind of pointing things up. It have you know what I mean? Like this is this is like the celebrities with their makeup off kind of kind of meme. Look behind the facade. Yeah, and so I mean I can I can get into it that way a little bit, but I I just don't know if we need ninety minutes. Nine, yeah, like that much of it, and yeah, and like the the speed and bullet you know track with Plain Pat producing just shows you that with a little bit of outside you know capable outside influence it could be much better i don't know i'm glad mike judge is you know yeah. got a few bucks yeah i mean whatever like uh, 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 uh silicon valley was great and so yeah. he's, he's working he's working <laughs> well you know before all this kind of winds down i did want to point out kind of the influence uh kid cuddy has had you know if you listen to an artist like uh lil peep or um I'm trying to think of a similar vein, but Lil Peep is what I think of, or even some of the kind of, uh, not exactly like Suicide Boys, but still some of that rock aesthetic. There are people who have kind of built on it, you know, Extentacion uh, uh, and it, it kind of his last two albums built on that kind of brooding uh, rock type uh, influence, I think in a better way. So maybe this was a, a stepping stone to something uh, more listenable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, maybe he just needed to get this out of his system. I don't know if he needed to release it to the public, but, you know, it was it was helpful as therapy, if nothing else. And it's probably closer to a, an actual rock album than Rebirth was by Lil Wayne, who seemed to have yes. just read what rock was supposed to be in a, you know, on the back of a cereal box and guessed, but you know, uh, absolutely. Both are entertaining in their own way. Although, although there's no song in this album that I enjoy as much as I enjoy single. Um, I will say, but there's, there's no prom queen on here either. So that's something. <laughs> so Brian, tell us about your, uh, booth podcast for those who are unfamiliar. We'll definitely have links up on the, the site and whatnot. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep it pretty short. It's a, uh, it's a freestyle hip hop oriented storytelling podcast. So I, I talk for a little bit. Um, I have a, a phone line. I might take a call or two or a question. Uh, it's kind of Southern fried, uh, you know, Boomhauer level philosophizing. And then at the end, I, uh, I just freestyle about whatever the, the contents of the episode were. So I make little note cards. I throw on a instrumental and I, I give it my best, uh, hack. And, um, yeah. yeah. Do you have any episodes on Haystack? Um, <laughs> I I might be missing a reference. Is that a King of the Hill? No, 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 no. Uh, maybe I'm not. He's just a Southern rapper. He's really, really. Uh, uh it's just he's. I, I don't know. I think he's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm always looking for good music recs, and actually, this has been refreshing. It's nice to have some people to talk about music who uh, kind of have a good context for you know different reference points. Um, but. Uh, but you know, yeah, it's not so much music reviews. It really is, you know, I'm a middle school teacher. Uh, so it kind of is just, uh, it just talks a little bit about life, what's going on. I try to keep it pretty brief. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we don't have that problem. I mean, brevity, but, uh, but I mean, I really do like rapping and, uh, and that's kind of the, uh, the crux of the show is that, you know, that's the consistent theme throughout it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Sounds great. 
And that's why we needed you on, because yes. we don't know enough about it. So we, we appreciate your expertise on in the area. So Well, thank you for having me on. This has been awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for coming on, and um, thank you at home for listening. We do ask that you take a minute to go into whatever podcasting application you are currently using and um, rate us and write us a review, and that way we know you exist. And we're not talking to ourselves. You can also drop us an email at detoursandoutliers at gmail.com if you have any ideas for albums we should cover in future episodes. And with that wrapped up, tune in next week when we try and figure out who this artist is. Mm-hmm.